Good morning. Go ahead and have a, have a seat. Wasn't that so cool to hear from Ryan and Emily and their family? Wasn't that encouraging? Man, it's, um, I'm thankful that we as a church family get to be a part of the lives of families like that, including the lives of kids like Henry, like Boone, and like Pippa. And you know, I'm really excited that not only are we a part of their lives, but they're a part of, of my life too. And that when my kids are struggling, when my kids need encouragement, that the Clarks can be there for, for us too. So isn't it good to be a family together? Isn't that good? It is, isn't it? Well, um, I remember a time... How many of you, let me ask this question first. How many of you have traveled internationally before? Okay. If you've traveled internationally, you've probably had this experience where, you know, you, um, Lindsay and I lived in Asia for a long time, and we, we, we got on a, a lot of different flights. Uh, we were traveling for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And then finally, we land in, uh, in America. Finally, we land in the, in the airport in San Francisco. And uh, we get off the plane, and we're, we're coming into the, the terminal and stuff, and we've got our bags and things like that. But then you have to go through customs. And you get in this line, and you get to the front of the line, and uh, there's this person kind of behind a window or whatever, and they ask you some questions. They'll say, oh, let me see your ID, and you know, I, give them, I give them my ID, and they kind of they look at my ID, and they look at me, and then look at the ID, and look back at me, and I'm starting to get a little bit nervous, and they look at the ID, and they, they look back at me. Um, I remember this one time in particular when I was coming back from, from Asia and going through customs, and this, this uh, particular woman that was the customs agent, she checked my ID, and she asked me a couple of questions, and then she looked at me and said, welcome home, Mr. Ryan. And then she gave me back my passport, and she kind of like gestured like this, and then I was able to, to go into, into America, right? And the reason I bring this up is because we've been talking about the kingdom of God as we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, really the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is teaching us what life is like in his kingdom, what he calls the kingdom of heaven. And I hope you see, I, I hope you see this. Isn't this the place that our souls just long for? Isn't it? You know, even if you're, maybe you're here and, and you're not a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you don't even believe in God. But as you listen to Jesus describing his kingdom, this place where it's not the rich and the powerful or the wealthy or the super-duper talented, that are exalted in God's kingdom, but it's the meek, it's the merciful, it's the peacemakers, it's the poor in spirit, that this isn't the kingdom where we just try to accumulate wealth for ourselves, but instead we, we generously give what we have to try to help people who are in need. This isn't a place where we show off and try to get people to think how spiritual we are, but this is a place where we have a genuine, intimate, personal relationship with God and with each other too. This isn't a place where we just use and manipulate each other, but this is a place, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, 
where we treat other people the way we want them to treat us? I mean, come on, who doesn't want to live in a place like that, right? Isn't there a part of your soul that's just kind of homesick for that? Isn't there a part of your soul, even if you're not a disciple of Jesus, that just in your heart knows that you were made to live in a place like that, in a community like that? Well, Jesus is telling us that there is a place like that. And it's not just some abstract place in your head that if you just believe this and you'll start to act this way or whatever. No, he's saying there is a kingdom like this. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And it's a real place and it's a real community. And the reason I told that story about going through customs a second ago is what a tragedy it would be Wouldn't it be such a tragedy to spend your whole life being homesick for this type of a place, for this type of a community, only to get to customs and be rejected? Wouldn't it be a tragedy? Wouldn't it be so discouraging if Lindsay and I, we flew for 48 straight hours only to be turned away by the customs agent, and and for them to say, no, I'm sorry, you're not a genuine citizen of the United States of America. And in the same way, we need to know as we're thinking about walking the narrow way, as we're thinking about journeying on the path to the kingdom of heaven, living in the kingdom of heaven, we need to know who's going to be able to get in, who's going to be allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about who is allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven and who is not allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. So turn me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And what we're going to see, we're going to see three things. We're going to talk about, first of all, we're going to see fake citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about true citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And then we're going to talk about what it looks like. I know this is a heavy topic. I know this is a very, can be a kind of a scary topic. But the third thing we're going to talk about, fake citizens of the kingdom, true citizens of the kingdom. And then finally, what does it look like for us to respond What does it look like for us to respond to this message, this warning, this challenge that Jesus is giving us today? Okay, so look with me at Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, and I'll go ahead and read that. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Do we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, this is God's word to us. So we're going to talk about three, three things today. First of all, Jesus is talking about what are fake or counterfeit citizens of the kingdom of heaven like. Okay, last week we talked about fake prophets or or false prophets, and today 
we're talking about fake disciples or, or fake citizens. You should see this, uh, this picture up on the board right now. Well, a, a few things that we see about this. Look in verse, in verse 21. What are some characteristics of people who turn out to be fake citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Well, first of all, they say the right things. They call Jesus Lord, right? They even have good theology. I mean, Lord is the word that people in that time would use for God. They would refer to God as Lord. These people have good theology. These people, they say the right things. These people, they even would claim to be Christians themselves, right? Second of all, what we see is that they do impressive things. They do some really impressive things. You know, when Jesus first denies them, it's, it's as if they're kind of making, they're protesting, they're saying, but God, didn't we, didn't we do all these amazing things for you? And look at the things they list. They say, didn't we prophesy in your name? You know, maybe, maybe these were some of the people we talked about last week, these people who maybe they had good theology, they believed in the Trinity, they believed in, um, you know, they, they believed that Jesus really came and died for our sins and then rose from the dead on the third day. They believe all these things, but maybe they weren't, they didn't really have the fruit of repentance in their life and they weren't genuine citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And so it would be as if, you know, I got to customs trying to cross back into America, and I said, well, but I can stand on my head and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, I, I can, you know, I, I can me- I've memorized the entire Constitution of the United States. I have like a, this, this eagle American flag montage tattoo like right across my chest. Look at all these things. I'm so American. I said, no, I'm sorry. Jesus says, I never knew you. And these people are, are rejected. They're turned away as, as false citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Well, why is that? What Jesus says is, not everybody that calls him Lord, that has good theology, that believes the right things maybe, that goes to church, that, that serves, that gives money, that even shares the gospel, that even goes on a mission trip, not everybody that does that will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who will? He says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so these people, they're they're fake disciples, not because they didn't believe the right truth. They're they're fake disciples, not because they never heard the gospel, but because they never really truly did the will of God. Okay, what is this talking about? Well, I put this picture up on the screen. I've used this analogy before. Um, So if you think about this, this circle represents your life. Okay, so the circle represents your life, and in everybody's life, there's kind of like, there's a throne, okay? And the, the chair in the middle of the circle, it represents a throne. So whoever's sitting on the throne is the king of your life. Whoever's, whoever is seated on the throne of your life, that's the person's kingdom that you're living in. Okay, so the circle represents your life, the, the chair in the middle represents the throne, the person seated on the throne is the king, and all of those dots, those little spots, or around the circle, those represent all the different things in your life. So your family, your romantic life, your finances, your school, your, your work, your career, um, how you spend your time, your hobbies, um, all of these different things. Okay, And so for the person who is a fake citizen of the kingdom, 
what makes them a fake citizen of the kingdom? It's that they ultimately, at the end of the day, they never allow Jesus to be on the throne of their life. And if you look at this diagram that I have there, what's on the throne? Self. Now, maybe for, for this fake citizen of the kingdom, may, maybe, maybe going to church is one of the spots in their circle. But Jesus was never truly, really and truly on the throne of their life. Let me give you an example. So think about, think about Judas. So one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was probably, I mean, who, who definitely was sitting around Jesus as he was delivering these words for the first time. Ultimately, he betrayed Jesus. He disowned Jesus. He, he sold him out. Well, why? Well, the Gospel of John tells us that, he, that what he really loved, one of the things he really loved was money. One of the things he really loved was money. And so it probably seemed at certain times that, man, following Jesus, this guy does miracles. This guy is a compelling teacher. He's, he's the king. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven. I mean, what better way to get rich, right? But as soon as he realized, no, wait, Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is not trying to, you know, to, 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 to create this giant empire where he's getting rich and famous and stuff like that. That's not what Jesus is about. As soon as he figured that out, Judas sold him out for a little bit of money. And, and that's what happens when somebody is a fake citizen of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus is not really on the throne of your life as the Lord of your life, maybe Jesus is, maybe you read your Bible, maybe you go to church, maybe you do some of those different things, those impressive things. But ultimately, if Jesus is not on the throne of your life, what you're going to do is exactly what Judas did. Maybe not in such a dramatic way, but if Jesus isn't the king, what we're going to end up doing, what you're going to end up doing is using Jesus to get what you really want in life. Using Jesus to get what you really want in life. What you really find valuable. What's your true treasure. Maybe it looks like, maybe it sounds a little bit like this, and we wouldn't say this out loud, but in our hearts, this can be, this can be what the heart of somebody who's a fake kingdom citizen is like. We might say, Jesus, I'll do anything you want. I'll go to church, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll give money, I'll support the Salt and Light Project, I'll even go on a mission trip. All I ask is that you give me a happy family. All I ask is that you give me a happy family. And, and really what Jesus is, is a means to get what you really desire, what you really value, which is the happy family. Is it good to have a happy family? Absolutely. But here's the problem. Jesus, he, he turns these people away, and what does he say in verse 23? He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, why does he say these people are workers of lawlessness? Because here's the thing. If Jesus is not on the throne of your life, what you'll do is you'll, you'll obey Jesus, you'll follow his teachings, as long as it seems like that's helping you get what you really want out of life. Sure, I'll forgive people. Sure, I'll love my neighbor. Sure, I'll, I'll be meek. Sure, I'll be a peacemaker. Sure, I'll turn the other cheek. Sure, I'll do to others as I want them to do unto me. 
as long as in return I get respected by my peers. As long as my children aren't rebellious. As long as God allows that estranged family member in my life to be reconciled with me. And what happens is, if that doesn't happen, then you get mad at Jesus and you say, Jesus, this wasn't part of our deal. This wasn't part of our deal. I was supposed to do this and then you were supposed to do this. And what happens is, if Jesus is not on the throne, then just like Judas, when you don't get what you truly want, you're capable of breaking any of the commandments that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll, you'll lie, you'll cheat, you'll steal, you'll manipulate, you'll bully, whatever you have to do to get what you really want out of life. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because these were people who never truly submitted to him as their Lord. Okay, well, that, that's what fake citizens of the kingdom of heaven are like. What are true citizens of the kingdom like? Well, he says it in verse 21. He says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the one who will be allowed to enter. Go ahead and put that second slide up there. You the, there you go, true citizens. So a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven is defined by one thing, that they, are, that they have submitted to Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, and they're allowing Jesus to reign and rule as the king of, of their life, that Jesus is on the throne that Jesus is on the throne of, of their life. And this is a theme in Matthew, unless we think that this is just kind of some random sort of like, uh, just r- random sort of drive-by saying that Jesus has. This is a theme throughout really the whole Bible and especially in the Gospel of Matthew. So think about the Lord's Prayer. You know, Matt preached on this a few weeks ago. At the core, at the heart of the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus teach us to pray as his disciples? Your kingdom come. Not hey, please fix my kingdom, that your kingdom come and your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. So a, a genuine citizen, a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven, their life is characterized by saying, God, I submit my will to you, and when my plan conflicts, conflicts with your plan, when what I think is right conflicts with what you say is right, I'm going to trust in you. Instead of what my heart is telling me, you're going to be on the throne. You're going to be the king of my life. In Matthew 12, a few chapters later, Jesus is, is teaching with his disciples. And his mother and his, his brothers, they come and they're trying to find him. And they say, Jesus, come on. And really, they think Jesus is crazy. He's saying he's the Messiah and he's teaching about that he's the king and stuff like that. And they say, Jesus, come on, come out here. Let's come back home. And somebody comes into Jesus and they say, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. And what does Jesus say? He says, who are my mother and who are my brothers? The one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That person is my mother and my brother and my sister. So here's a big question. Is Jesus saying that we're saved by the good things that we do? Is what Jesus is teaching here that you have to earn your way into heaven. If you don't obey enough, if you don't do enough of the will of God, then you don't get into heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that when you receive Jesus into your life as your Savior and as your Lord, He changes you. He transforms your heart. 
and you can't help if you receive Jesus into your life as your Savior and as your King, as your Lord, you can't help but start to be changed to live a life that reflects God's will. And so doing the will of God, it's not how we become saved, it's not how we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but it's a result of us being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And it's also a sign. What does Jesus say? How will people know that you're truly my disciples? Because you can explain the Trinity. No. Because you've read the Bible every year for the last 20 years? No. By your love. It's, it's really the same thing as last week when we looked at when Jesus says, how will you tell the false prophets from the true prophets? By their fruits. By their fruits you will know them. And in the same way, if, I'm, if I have truly accepted Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, that's going to show because I will be gradually, not perfectly, but I will be gradually more and more throughout the course of my life, my life will be more and more conformed to, to the will of God. The perfect example of this is Jesus himself. Think about Jesus at the end of his life, a time where Jesus' will was in direct conflict with the will of his Father. When God had told Jesus to go die on the cross, to bear the guilt and the penalty for all of the sins of the world, and Jesus is in the garden, and he's praying, and he's not sitting there praying, saying, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. God, thank you that this is going to be so fun tomorrow. No, he's saying, God, please don't, I don't want to do this. This is not what, I, I don't want to do this. This is going to be miserable. This is going to be hard. Is there any other way? But then what does he say? He says, not my will, but your will be done. When your will comes into conflict with God's will, do you think that you know best, or do you submit to God as your, as your king and trust that even if it seems like hell on earth, even if it seems crazy, even if it seems like death, that his way is best because he really does know best. So, fake citizens of the kingdom, maybe Jesus is, maybe they say that they're a Christian, maybe they do some religious impressive things, but Jesus has never truly been on the throne of their life. Genuine kingdom citizens are characterized by a life where Jesus is on the throne and every aspect of their life is centered around him, submitted to him. Yes, I'm going to serve my family. Yes, I'm going to work hard. Yes, I'm going to pursue my career. But ultimately, the thing that's most important to me is I'm going to do the will of God. And if I get those other things that I want, awesome. Praise God. But if I don't, he must have something better for me. How are we doing? This is, this is tough, isn't it? Um, you know, this is kind of a, I'll be perfectly honest, as I, as I was ready, to, as I was getting ready to teach this this week, this was, this was tough for, for me because I know the way this typically kind of goes is that you have somebody who's like pounding the pulpit and like, you know, just using fear and getting people to doubt their salvation and, and stuff like that. And 
that's not what I want to do. And so honestly, I've been praying all week, and we were praying, the staff team was, the, the band, and, and I were praying before, before, um, before the service saying, just asking the Holy Spirit to protect us from any false fear, but to bring conviction if there really does need to be conviction. So th- this is what I would say. You know, if you're somebody who, if you struggle with doubting your salvation, if you're maybe somebody that's, that tends to be particularly prone to obsessive thoughts or anxiety or something like that, you know, maybe this sermon just completely is triggering and you're like, oh, no, and, um, and it, you just get that kind of stab of, of, of condemnation in your heart. If that's you right now, let's, let's talk about it. Well, let's talk about it. This isn't just a 35-minute conversation. Let's sit down. Let's have coffee. Let's, let's discuss. We'd love to be able to shepherd you, you, you through that. Because Satan does love, one of the ways Satan loves to throw off genuine kingdom citizens is to tell us, probably not a real citizen, and to make us doubt, right? But maybe some of you are here today, and you're listening to this, and you would say, hey, you know what? you just kind of have the sober-minded realization that, man, maybe church and Bible reading and serving as a life group leader or in Northwest Kids or in the band or maybe that's one of the dots in your life, but you're still on the throne of your life. And you've never really said to Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done. You never truly said to Jesus, Jesus, I want you, I don't want you just to be one of these little dots that helps me kind of get the other dots in line. I want you to be the king who sits on the throne. Just like in that diagram, the cross that's on the throne. And you you realize this morning, you've never really done that. And go ahead and go to the last slide there. Well, what Jesus would call you to, if that's you this morning, is to repent. At the very beginning of Matthew, not Jesus himself, but John the Baptist, another, a true prophet of the kingdom of heaven, what did he call people to do? He said, repent, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so repentance is basically just this. Repentance is this. It doesn't mean that you do everything right from now on. It doesn't mean that you can be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to fix yourself before Jesus will love you. What it means to repent is basically just this. It means to say, I've, to recognize I've been sitting on the throne of my life. Maybe I've I haven't done terrible, awful, horrible things that are super embarrassing and shameful in the eyes of most people. But at the end of the day, I've been on the throne of my life. And repentance looks like you recognize that. And self gets off the throne. And Jesus gets on the throne. And then you yourself instead of trying to control your life and use Jesus and manipulate others to get the things that you really want in life, self bows at the throne and submits to Jesus as king. You know, one way you could do that this morning, I mean, look at Matthew 6. 
what Jesus says in the, the Lord's Prayer. Maybe for you what this would look like is, is you go home and, and you say, Jesus, I've, I've prayed a lot before, but I, I want to tell you today for the first time genuinely from my heart, please let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. And give me my daily bread. I mean, make sure that my needs are taken care of. Please help me. And yes, I have these desires. I put those in your hands. But your kingdom come and your will be done in my life, just like it is in heaven. Maybe you've never really been able to say that from your heart to Jesus before. And today, you'd be able to do that for the first time. Well, secondly, maybe some of you and... um, Honestly, this is kind of where I was this week as I was preparing this. I, I, I Actually, to be honest, I hope this is where you are as you're listening to this. Maybe as you, as you listen to this this morning, as you reflect back on the Sermon on the Mount, at that narrow road, that hard, narrow road that Jesus is calling us to walk as his disciples, Maybe you just feel overwhelmed. Anybody feel that way right now? Like, man, and you're just thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. My will is too strong. My sinful desires are too strong. There's too many other things that tempt me. I'm too weak. I don't have the willpower to every moment of every day to continually do what Jesus says instead of what I think is, is best. And you're thinking like, man, I'm, I'm a failure. This is hopeless. Maybe that's the way you're feeling right now. And if you are feeling that way right now, and listen to me very carefully, if that's the way you're feeling right now, like, I can't do this, this is hopeless, I just, I, I, there's no way I can do what Jesus is calling me to do here. If that's the way you're feeling right now, you are blessed. Because the first words of the Sermon on the Mount, you know what they are? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you're rich in spirit, and you think, Love my neighbor as myself, got this. Give generously to the poor, got this. Love my enemy, got this. If you're, if you're really what's yours, you're like that rich young ruler that Jesus meets later where he says, all of these I have kept from the time I was very young. He was rich in spirit. He thought he could do this. He said, check, 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 what else? Give me, give me, give me discipleship, the advanced version of discipleship. That's rich in spirit. Being poor in spirit is, I cannot do this. I don't, I ain't got this. Okay? And if that's the way you're feeling right now, that is a blessing from God. Because God's, Jesus says that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you an example of what it looks like for you to respond this morning. So, this past week, actually a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my daughter, Valerie, my eight-year-old daughter, Valerie. And 
Valerie is, she's in second grade, and she's taken this writer's workshop class. And they have to write their own little stories or their own little sentences and stuff, and she does, and she spells everything wrong, and, but it's really cute, and so she gives it to me, and it's adorable, but anyway. So she's taking this writer's workshop, and um, I, the, other, the other day, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in my bed, I was reading, this was after I'd already put her down for the night, and um, I, I, was, I was sitting in my bed reading, and she comes up, and she's just really discouraged. She was just, you could tell she was kind of scared, and she was just really kind of down on herself. And I said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, I hate my, my writer's workshop. I was like, why, why do you hate it? Like, well, I have to know the difference between a, a subject and a verb, and I don't know the difference. And so she, she thought, like, her academic career was over, you know, like, she's going to be flipping burgers at McDonald's. I mean, she was like, I just, I'm just not good at this school thing. I can't, I can't do it. I can't subject and verb, subject and verb. I get them confused. And what do you think I did? I said, you know, I patted the bed next to me and said, hey, come up here. And we kind of snuggled up together and we got out a notebook. And I said, let me help you. There's, not, there's a lot that daddy doesn't know, but I can explain the difference between a subject and a verb. <laughs> okay, I'm a liberal arts major. <laughs> And we took a few minutes, and I said, oh, subject, verb, this is what this does, this is what that does. And then I gave her some examples, and then, you know, she wrote the examples, and then her, her complete countenance just changed in the course of, like, five minutes. And I was like, hey, do you think you, can you do this now? Yeah, thanks, Daddy. Now, here's what Jesus would say. Here's why I tell that story. Because I'm evil. I'm a sinner. Okay, I'm a selfish sinner just like you. But if when my child, when my child comes to me and says, Daddy, I can't do this, will you please help me? Even I know how to say, hey, come over here, let me help you. And it was, my, it was, it was the, the, the most fun I had all day. The thing I, had, I enjoyed the most all day was helping her with that. And if me being evil, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, if me being evil, even I know how to help my children when they come to me empty-handed and say, Daddy, please help me, I can't do this, even I, a sinner like me, knows how to do that, how much more does your Father in heaven delight in having you, when you're poor in spirit, when you're like, oh, this do, the, do your will thing, this your kingdom come thing, I can't do this, God. Hey, come up here, let me help you. See, here's the thing. In that analogy I used before, Jesus is not just the one who's waiting at customs to, to turn away the fake citizens and to welcome the true citizens. He's the one who walks beside you every single step of the way. And so if that's you this morning, maybe you came in here rich in spirit, feeling like things were going pretty well, but you listen to this like, crap, you know, I'm on the throne. Maybe what it looks like for you is you come to God today and you say, God, I can't do this. I need you to change my heart, do something new in me, I need you to change my heart so I actually want 
to do your will. And just like I delighted to help Valerie with her homework, how much more is God going to delight to help you with that? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for myself. God, would you bring uh, conviction for any of us if we're currently on the throne of our life, if we've never made you Lord, would you just lovingly bring that conviction? I pray that you would bring genuine repentance. And Jesus, would you help us, those of us who are the true citizens of your kingdom, as we just look at the way you've called us to live, God, we can't do it. Would you help us to do that today the same way that I helped Valerie with her writer's workshop homework? And pray this in Jesus' name, amen.